It's a new day for all of us. Hello, my name is Van Ritchie, and it is an absolute pleasure to introduce you to Peel Back the Onion, a regular podcast where you are the most important person of the day and where life issues and challenges get to be peeled back so you have the best day of your life. And now, please welcome the hosts of Peel Back the Onion, Dr. Geraldine Cronin and Dr. Jerry Camarata. And what a time we will have today. Thanks, Van, for that introduction and for all the lives you touch every day as one of the great voices of America. I'm Jerry Camarata, author of The Fun Book of Fatherhood, and... I'm Geraldine Cronin, clinical psychologist, and we are delighted to take you on a journey every week, a journey that will help you better understand what you're thinking, what you are feeling, and what you can do to peel back some of those things which take away from being that very special person you want to be. Each week we will answer your emails, and wow, so many of them have come into our inbox. And we will also talk to the special guests who generously will tell us about their lives and give us a chance to reflect upon our lives as well. And some of those special guests will be authorities in their fields. People who have made a difference in the lives of others, so we may get a better special perspective on how to better live our own lives. Jerry, today, let's have a conversation about what happened. Oh, I can tell you all about what's happened. I can write a book. Every day, I either get a call about something going wrong, or our news outlets are broadcasting something that seems to be so challenging to all of us. I can get aggravated and sometimes really angry. I mean, what do I do about it? And that's precisely why today's show is about what happened and what's happening. How often we rant about things that years later seem so meaningless. We squander our emotional energy and never really get to the better thoughts of life. Later on in our podcast, we're going to have a segment about what happens in our lives unexpectedly and how often they seem insurmountable. And most importantly, what should we be doing about it? But before we meet our guest on the podcast, let's take a look at this clip. Leonard was born and raised in Wyoming, and we both attended the University of Wyoming, which is where I met him at a dance. He was a great dancer and so handsome, he knocked me off my feet. We had three children, two boys and a daughter. We were all very close. We had wonderful times together. As a person, he is kind and generous and has absolute integrity. He has always said, you can't be a little bit pregnant and you can't be a little bit dishonest. Probably eight years ago, when I began to realize that his business judgment was not as good as it has always been, family and friends could always rely on Leonard's business judgment and recommendations. And some little glitches began occurring, and he would begin asking me questions over and over again. And I would get cross when he'd say, when do we go to the market? 
and I'd say, tomorrow. Five minutes later, when do we go to the market? What did we have for lunch, honey? Two minutes later, I think I'm hungry. We haven't eaten lunch, have we? The doctors initially said, well, he might have some Alzheimer's. We're not sure. You can't tell for sure. The only way you know for sure is by an autopsy. And of course, I wasn't ready for that yet. The transition from being a wife and a love to a mommy and a caregiver. Because when Leonard developed Alzheimer's, I lost my best friend, my love, my comrade, my business companion. I, I lost, I lost it all in one man. That, that's the most difficult part. You know, in medicine, focus is everything. And so I think what we're beginning to see now, and certainly it's the intent of this center, is to really focus on the early identification of this disease process, as well as interventions that make a difference. One of the things that we've learned since our association with the Louvo Center for Brain Health is the impact and the importance of the disease on the caregiver. And the health of the caregiver is as important as the health of the patient. And one of the unique focuses of this center is to really see both as its primary mission. I can't tell you how grateful I am. I absolutely love the clinic. I love the doctors. I love the staff. I love the other wonderful volunteers. I love the fact that it supports me. And in supporting me, I can better support my husband. I think the Center for Brain Health represents a passion for comfort and caring, meeting a great need. And that is what the Center is about. The clip we just saw was not about our guest today, but about what our guest has had to endure. The difficulty of loving someone who's drifting away from our life, leaving you lonely, depressed, and even sad. I want to thank the Cleveland Clinic for the work they do in giving life to so many people. But now let's turn our attention to an exceptional woman. Her name is Lynn, and let me read the email she sent to us. Mm. Dear Piero Back the Onion, I don't know how many wives there are out there, or even men for that matter, who have had a loving life with a spouse and then all of a sudden the spouse disappears mm. because of dementia, where they also say Alzheimer's. The person you talk to every day, had a good laugh with, made love to, is now only there in the flesh, not with the ability and vitality and spirit of mind. I feel so alone. I look for him every day in different parts of the apartment, and I can't find the man I married. Forty years ago, and we had a child. I still have to live with my life, and I really try, but my husband and I have been one for a lifetime, and now I feel I am minus one. I'm no longer whole, somewhat castrated. Why me? Why so many of my friends? Sign Lynn. Well, we have Lynn on the line today. So 
why don't we say hello to Lynn? How are you, Lynn? Great to see you live on our broadcast. Good morning, Jerry. Nice to be with you this morning. Lynn, I got your email, and it really touched me. Um, and I felt that if there was anyone who could express to people out there who are going through what you're going through, you would be it. Um, you're a gifted, exceptional woman. You're an art therapist, and you've lived a big life. And you've also had a significantly long marriage. So, given who you are and what I read in your email, I think I'm going to ask you, in your words, what happened? And maybe you might want to go back to when you came back before COVID and some of the things you saw, some of the things you experienced, and then how it impacted you in your marriage and where you are today. Now, I know that's a long journey. I understand it, but I'll interrupt because I do, <laughs> because okay. I want you to speak at times more fully about what you're saying, because I think you, what you're saying is, an, is very powerful. So let's go to, uh, let's go back. Let's take the journey back. And you speak in your own words to me and to the audience. And you're going to be speaking to a lot of people who have lived this but have not shared it because it's too scary, too private. Uh, and they're frightened to even discuss it because it makes them even more anxious. But you're solid and I feel it. So let's go. Okay, I'm ready. Tell me the story. What happened? Well, I mean, I'll start uh, way back. I guess I've reached a passage in life. I married for 40 years to a, a, a marvelous person. He's a creative person. I'm a creative person. And I met my match um, years ago. And we What had does he a, do, Lenny? He, he's an interior designer, arch architectural interior designer, space designer. Um, and I'm an art teacher and an art therapist. So we have that connection and um, we went with it. And uh, we got married many years ago. And we, I had definitely a philosophy of life and I found somebody that uh, I could share it with. We have, we I'm had one. interrupt you. Yes. <laughs> uh, tell me about was he married before? Were you married before? Yes, I was married for four years, uh, right out of college. And he was a very nice guy. It just wasn't right. I got it. I got it. Um, he was married for 14 years, had three children. So I Whoa. became a stepmother, um, which I'm also a stepdaughter. So uh, th this, was, this was a hurdle. He was also um, observant. Uh, what does that mean, observant? In he what was religion? In Jewish observant. I'm Jewish, um, but I wasn't as observant as he was. So it was uh, a bit of a challenge. It was uh, a, a double whammy more for me uh, at the time before I made the commitment to get married. I went uh, for help because the kids were an issue. The religion wasn't in the house. Okay. I could put you went together. for help to, um, for the to audience. Psychology. To okay. psychology. Uh, just to say, like, to, to find out, am, am I going to get involved with something that I wouldn't be able to handle to be, let's say, a piece of the pie? Okay. Got it. 
because because coming from a divorced family at a young age when nobody was divorced, I became a piece of the pie. So here I found myself in a situation like this. And I went three times to this uh, doctor many years ago, and we discussed it. And he, he wanted to delve into who I am, to know right. my life. And you he said, peel, peel back the onion. He really peeled back the onion. He said, forget about your relationship now. Let's start with you. And I got should, it. And should you be in a situation like this? So after he heard my background, he said, you definitely shouldn't be in a situation like this. But he said, what you're telling me about your relationship with your, with your husband-to-be, that is very hard to find. It's very hard to find a connection that you really connect and you really have solid interests together and, and a similar philosophy in life. So he said, if you want my honest advice, I would go with it because the kids grow up. The religion can become a positive. And he was, when I, in retrospect, he was absolutely right. I love oh. my, my, I love my stepchildren like they're my own. And I, and uh, the religion became, I made it become a, a positive part of my life. All right. You are a uh, positivity. Where does that come from? Um, I developed very early in life um, a philosophy with what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And I always keep in mind the word gratitude uh, from, from when I was young, that I, I, uh, I have a whole life ahead of me. I knew what I wanted to do at a, at a young age, maybe like by fifth, sixth grade. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. How did you know that? I listen to older people. Most, the majority of my friends, except to go to a bar or a disco in my youth, most of my dear friends were always older. It doesn't work in my favor now because most of them are gone. Uh, but I always looked for wisdom in older people and their experience in life. And, and that, if you ask me, my grandparents were everything to me. Uh, you know, my parents were more raising me all the time. They were uh, busy with that and making a living and whatever. But it was my parents and my, my older friends that were really uh, uh, an important piece. And my husband is, is um, older than me. He's 11 years How, old. Well, But there's something about the fact that you had the wisdom to look for wisdom in older people. Because somehow you knew it would exist there because they lived. Because they lived, right. And, you know, being a teacher and being in a, in a community setting, being, you know, I made, uh, you know, I mean, I was a young teacher who saw it, and many of the teachers were much older, and we connected. We became like a real community. Right. And, became, and they, they had such, such uh, wisdom. And um, I always listened and took in things from, from different people. Uh, when my parents got divorced, the same thing. Uh, you know, their friends tried to help and uh, wherever, my doctor, my dentist, whatever. everybody had something to say and it registered with me. Well, you allowed yourself to incorporate it and you also learned how to vet it. So what was relevant to you was important and you got rid of the other stuff. So let's go, let's go forward a little bit. Okay. Okay. I want to take you, um, I, have, I, I think we have some sort of a history that you have resiliency you have a very positive attitude, you're creative, and you look outside the box. Yes, I definitely look outside the box. Okay. I, um, definitely. <laughs> and you have an enormous sense of gratitude 
for life? Yes, I do. That I do. Okay. So I want to know, how did you manage when you got off that flight and COVID hit, say, two months later? What did you do? What happened? Well, my, my, my husband and I traveled extensively. That was part of my dream, and I was going to do it, whether I did it by my, myself, on my own, or whether I had a partner to do it. This was, I was going to see the world, probably because of my background in art. I wanted to see the culture, understand it, uh, look at the architecture. It's very important, very meaningful to me. So we took a lot of trips together to exotic places. We mingled with the people, uh, never with a group, always on our own. Uh, we did enjoy every year something called the Flamenco Festival in Spain because we, we got I don't know, in interested in watching Flamengo. I love it. It's a very passionate dance. And we went every year to Jerez, Spain. We went there as usual, came back on the plane. Two days later, luckily, luckily we got back. The government shut down here. And then, okay, we're first we're going to be locked in for two weeks and it's going to be a few months. And it's, you know, two and a half years later, uh, all this stuff started to happen to him. He got ill. He had a, a lot of health issues. He developed a brain tumor. They had to remove it. Uh, he's not walking well at all. He could creep around the house with the walker. But going out. And, and this two years became, so, all I could say is, so sad. I'm heartbroken. I had this heaviness watching what happened to the love in my life it, it just it's it just sits on my chest sometimes i said am i having a heart attack what is it it's heartache it's a heartbreak it's heartache. what happened to him what am where I gonna is he where is he where'd he go i started like picturing myself looking under everything looking for him where's the man that i know it's like He's, it's like being sucked out of him. And the more that we were isolated, uh, you know, shut off from everything we knew, from going to the synagogue every week, from, you know, meeting with friends, the pandemic and being locked up. And we're very social people, not seeing our kids. The kids, I mean, grand, we have 11 grandchildren, nothing, zero. Uh it, it, you know, okay, you go a month, two, three months, one. this is like months going like this. And everybody's afraid of the COVID. Lynn, if I can interject here, can you tell me what it's like saying good morning to your husband? Say good morning. Um, and he always says, can I give you a kiss? Good morning. And I, mm -hmm. I and we, and, and we, we kiss. And I then I like walk away and I, I set up everything for breakfast for him. And I and th that's it. But I find it very hard to look at him when I like eat to sit across from him. He has this like blank stare all of a sudden. A man who could study or, you know, make architecture or like a blank look. And it's I don't know where to put myself. I try very hard, but it's what it's do you do? very hard. So, um. Sometimes I'll, I'll like wave my hand at him and say, I'm here, let's look over here. And he'll, he will, he'll, he'll turn his head and I'll try to make conversation. And, um, 
And then I, you know, go on with life. You know, what do you want for dinner? They say, I mean, this is like two and a half years like this. This is unbelievable. It's like I, I became like a robot and he's staring into space. And um, as I say, it's, it's so heartbreaking that um, I, I, busy, I try to busy myself with things. That's what I do. Well, these are the strategies. I want to ask you something. Hang on. Let's go back for a second. What did you learn about yourself through this? What are the feelings that, would you say, emerged that you might have not uh, expected would emerge during this time? What emerged is I, I very often I ask myself, I think I'm a, a, like I became Florence Nightingale. Like I'm running a, a full-time nursing home with one employee. And I'm wondering, and I, I do it out of love. I do it out of, because that's what I should do. And that's what I want to do. But I wonder sometimes if everyone in my position would be so good. I don't know. I, I think about it. Am I doing too much or, or, or I, right, I don't so let's, let's go to another part of this. Um, I, I get the part of being an extraordinary caretaker because it's a, it's coming out of love and it's organic. But there are other feelings too, which I would assume arise. Resentment. Okay, so let's go with resentment. Let's go, uh, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, you know, other negative feelings and how you feel about that. Maybe you could l just locate the negative feelings for me. The negative feelings of resentment come from Perhaps some of this was self-induced. Some of it was caused from years of smoking. Okay, I, before I knew, you know, I met him. Okay, I gave up the cigarettes. But, you know, a lot of it's stuff. And then I, I also try to get him to eat very healthy. I, you know, and he's, he goes, eats what he wants. And then, and then he had lung cancer and he smoked a cigar. Those kinds of things make me crazy and then and then i get resentful like you're bringing some of this on yourself or then there's the or or should i leave him alone and let him enjoy life if those things give him pleasure that's where my dilemma and sometimes the resentment comes in okay i'm going to go another place with you what i'm hearing is that somehow you feel that maybe you could have helped earlier in managing it better with him regarding the food or maybe the smoking or whatever. But I, I'm going to a different place. Right, okay. Okay. The place I'm going to is the negativity you may feel being a caretaker. The anger. Yes. It's what happens to your life when he's 11 years older and you are still a vibrant young woman. Right. I think of that and I think to myself, I can't let his deterioration take me with him. I, that, that's, that's a very fine line. Well, let's go with that fine line. Right. So what I do is I, in, I first of all, I, I still teach, which I love. I spend a lot of time writing curriculum, uh, a lot of time doing, doing art related to, to the school I teach in <coughs> now. I enrolled in a lot of classes. I love to take... Uh, uh, art history classes. I became a professional member of museums. So I bring friends with me to museums. We walk around. I can explain the art. We'll have lunch together and talk about it. That's very, for me, that's, uh, that's very important. 
it's therapeutic, but what happens to the feelings of um, the future and the next chapter? Or do you think of a next chapter? Um, I do. I think what will happen if he passes before I do. And, and honestly, sometimes I say, oh, God, I hope I pass before him because I don't know how I could deal with this. But I, I have friends who are in the position and we talk about it. We talk about it and they express their feelings. It's uh, something I worry about. It's something I think about. But you said you wrote about. Where did you write it? Um, no, I, I talk about it. With, you talk uh, about it. About it. Um, mostly talk about it. But I, I think that I have enough interests in my life that I could carry on. Probably being very sad hopefully not getting into depression, but sad. Um, but um, I think about, I hope those activities that I enjoy, and I do enjoy things in life, that I could continue with them, even though I would be without him. I'm build, I, build, I built that throughout my life, things that I enjoy. Okay, I'm going further. Um, do you cry a lot? I, I, I do cry a lot. Sometimes I'll just burst out into tears. There's things that will trigger it. Can you tell me some? Um, it's like something that he'll think he's so forgetful now. It's like, you know, dementia is setting and I can see it. Like how to use a remote control on the TV. I mean, they, and, and I'll, I'll walk away I'll, I'll, because I don't want to yell and I don't want to get upset. I walk away and I start to cry. Or he forgets what something is. And then, and then I... I have, to, I have to walk away from it. I have to walk away. I don't want him to see me crying. Once in a while, he does. And he asks me, am I depressed? And I say, no, I'm just sad. But those are things that trigger it when I see normal things he did. He forgets. And I have to pick up the pieces. How do you feel about picking up the pieces? Is anybody helping you? Well, you know something? It's very interesting you said that because he, he's had a problem like with hearing. And I'm, I'm, I'm screaming. I said, not only don't you understand something, but you don't hear. So it's what, what? I can't, I can't deal with that. So I insisted he get hearing aids. I go. So anyway, I take him to all the, the visits and it's very difficult. I, it's just I have to get him into a car service, into you know an Uber, and we go there. Watching him get into the Uber, that is enough to put me put me over. What the do you say? What do you say? Just go into detail. A crippled, a crippled man, who you know would drive a stick shift all over the world, China and Bangkok, where you, nobody normally drives, <laughs> but my husband, to get into a car, and I say, what happened to him? Like this is a project. We get into the car, and when we sometimes when we return to our street, he says, "Where are we?" Mm. That's awful. It's awful. So, so, I, and I haven't been able to engage any of our four children and eleven grandchildren, okay, to help. Okay, why do you think that is? Because of the pandemic. Okay, now, go ahead, go, go for it. Yeah, but yesterday I said I, I said he has to go to have the hearing the hearing aids adjusted, whatever. I can't. I, I said you know I was feeling under the weather. I had a lot of stuff to do, and I called on his daughter. I said you know what, 
she's was a professor. I said, you know what? You, could you please take him? It's a short visit. Could you please? And she said, sure. Okay. It was the first time that um, I asked and she went and it was like a, a sigh of relief for me just to get that little help. <coughs> Excuse me. And at this point, I'm going to start to perhaps ask. He's trouble with the computer now. I mean, I, you know, I forget it. That's what you have kids and grandchildren for, like, help them with the computer. So um, those things I'm going to start to. I think that makes sense. I think you need to act on that so that they can respond. They may think that you can do it all because you know what? You're incredibly strong. You're incredibly smart. And they may just feel that you really know how to do it better than them. So it would really make sense for you to tell them, I need help. And get proactive. That's exactly, you're right. You're 100% right. And that's exactly what I did yesterday. And um, and at first, at first, you know, my, my, my stepdaughter said, you know, okay, I'll have to, it happens to be that her mother's sitting shiver now. Also, I lost it. So, I mean, crazy, I have to work it into schedule. And I started to get like resentful. The one time I'm asking you, I don't, I don't want to hear any excuses. No, nope, she was right. She was right there for me, which was wonderful. And right there for her father. She put it all okay. the rest aside and came. I have to learn to do more of that. You do. And you have to ask, do you know why uh, I'm peeling it back again? Do you know why you don't ask for help? I'm uh, always, I, I always do things. I don't ask people for favors. Tell me why. Tell me what that's about. I don't know. Maybe you can help me with that. I'm just somebody that always just did for myself. And I think because maybe I could blame my parents' divorce. and my, I had to help my mother because she, she had a breakdown when, when they got divorced. And I had to, I was the older sister. I lost my, my younger sister, unfortunately. But I had to pick up a lot of the pieces. So maybe at that point, I learned to just do everything. Well, you asked me You asked me if I could help you. So I'm going to throw in another one to you. I don't think you want to be told. I don't think you want to be told no. I don't think you want to deal with the rejection and the disappointment that you might get if you were asked. You're probably 100% right. And I'm, over, I'm just absolutely overwhelmed with your lifestyle and your dedication, not only to your husband, but also to yourself. But I note... You're a teacher. How do you see the blending of your, uh, your education and teaching in the way in which you're dealing with your husband's condition and trying to care for him in a, in a most extraordinarily loving way? Well, I, for a long time, I got him. We turned, we have a little room upstairs. We live in a loft. And, and I, we turned a little room upstairs into a part-time art studio. And I got him involved in doing sculptures beautiful sculptures out of wire this is before this brain tumor acted up and you know ordered the stuff and helped them and made even you know professional labels for them and went along with that and and that was so fabulous for him to get involved in artwork he hasn't gone back to it since i keep trying slowly like let's go upstairs and let's you know i'll help you bend the wire He's able to do more after they remove this brain tumor, but um, uh, that was that was a big part of how we incorporated. And of course, sharing our memories, our house. We collect crafts from all over the world, so when we look at a piece, I I lead into a discussion about where we bought it and what just just to and then and then the discussion goes. He'll remember. He'll remember. So I I say for for me, we, this was the right decision to. 
my, 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 my place is just filled with stuff. You know, it's a lot to dust and care for, but um, it enlivens our life. Well, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary contribution right. that you make when you're a teacher. And all too often in our lives, as our, in our families, we don't do enough teaching. We don't do enough communication to expand the knowledge of other people. But when they don't have the ability to expand that themselves, and somebody like you comes along and ex- helps them to expand it, you're really giving them a dimension of life that seems to be withering away but you are preserving it. You're giving them strength. You're giving them value. And I think in the process, Lynn, you're giving yourself value. You're telling yourself how good you are and how terrific you want to continue to be with the love that you have for your husband. I just think it's absolutely extraordinary what you're doing. I have another question. Yes, I'm here. (laughs) I'm not finished. (laughs) I know you are. You ready? Yep. All right, let's go to the financials. Right. How does that feel going through this with a man who um, you have to care for? Do you get? Do you have anxiety about money? Yes, very much. So. I mean, we we had a, a design business, uh, you know, which which still goes on. I mean, you know, we designed his kids stuff, but not the way he used to at all. You know, put this here and put that there, that kind of thing. But I've had to take over all the paperwork. Um, I always did all the medical forms and all this, all this stuff. And, uh, but now I took it all over, which at first was resentful. Uh, you know, I maybe handle things different than him, but I've learned to do it. And it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm doing it. But I, you know, I, th- I think about, you know, there's a wild card in a situation like this. And the wild card is, what if one of us has to go like into a nursing home or so we need right. a lot of help? And that's the, that's the piece with the finances that everybody is like, you know. All right. So talk to me more about that issue because that, is, that speaks to more of the catastrophic nature of this. Yes. I mean, everybody, I mean, how much money, how much money can you save in your lifetime that you want to put away and not do what you're going to do every day. I've always lived for the day, but always saved. And I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a, a, a teacher's a nice pension. Um, but, you know, you don't know. But look, my stepmother just turned 98. I mean, this is, you know, we don't know. Maybe I had a friend who lived to be 101. How I much re- money do you want to accumulate? You don't know. We don't know the day we're going to die. So as a couple, when you're two, there's that that wild piece. I guess when you're down to one, you could kind of figure it out a little bit better. But, uh, you know, with the two, it becomes complicated. And I worry about that scenario, but I put that, you know what, I have to put that aside. So you're able, what you're really telling me in order to get through this is you can compartmentalize. You can stay focused in the present, right? You've got lots of strategies and a feeling of life and a life force that's still going. You're not merged with him, where if something happens to him, you're going with him. You're still going ahead. You don't know where yet, because it's virginal. It's uncertain. But there's still the feeling of life. And you're not sitting there feeling like a victim every day. You're being proactive. And the one piece I'm getting is that you really have to ask for help. Okay? 
that's in you because you're so self-reliant and so in control that you're afraid that people are going to say, no, I'm too busy, no, I can't do it, or they're just going to disappear. And then you're going to really feel hurt and wounded because you've given so much in your life that it'll enrage you to feel um, crushed or not cared for or neglected. Lynn, That's what I... Lynn, do you have, do you have any pets at the, in the house? No, I don't have any pets. Any reason for that? Occasionally a mouse one. <laughs> <laughs> any reason why you don't have a cat or a dog? I had, we had once a cat, but uh, my stepboys were allergic to it. Uh-huh. And a dog, it's like, you know, I left at 6.30 in the morning. I mean, we, I couldn't deal with the, <laughs> my, our, our, our lifestyle was not conducive to, uh, to anything else. For the and audience. <laughs> I have a question for you. Some people may be watching this, and they may think you're very privileged financially. And they may not be as privileged. And I don't even know if you would consider yourself privileged. But what would you say to people out there today who are going through this um, regarding where you're at and you're, um, you're in Manhattan, you're not in, you know, out in the suburbs or out in the Midwest, you're here. Um, what might you say to them regarding some of, about being on this path? Is there something you could... Oh, I just remembered something that I read. It had to deal with having a muscle of compassion and being nice. Uh, could you speak to that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. My mother's... I think every mother has that, you know. You know, there's Socrates, there's Plato, there are all these fabulous philosophers, Maimonides, you name it. And then there's our mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice. Be nice from the time. Be nice when you when they saw you were you know spoke out of turn or were fresh to a friend or bullying somebody or whatever. Be nice, and that always you know sticks to me that you know I'll always be the first one to run across the street help the blind person. I don't know. That's the way I am. Um, that that's my nature, um, and 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 I went into a giving profession, and I I, I just think it's it's important to. To uh, early on, if you could find what your passion is and find a career, work to me is extremely important. I take what I do very seriously. To find something that you love and your life's work, which gives you meaning, that's the most important uh, piece. That, and I, I've had a fa- I'm privileged because I have been privileged. To have a great profession. I mean, I stayed with the same job for 37 years in the same classroom. Now I'm working part-time in a, in a private school doing the same thing. Completely different experience. I am so grateful for that. But it also gives you a sense of stability and predictability with all the chaos that's going around in the world. And also seeing the exper- having the experience of change radical change in your marriage correct that it's really a place that's safe for you that you can produce you can be productive it's conflict free it's rewarding as opposed to when you have to go home and he doesn't remember where the remote is right 
or you have to really sort of nudge a little bit his children to, and your children, whatever, to move forward. Right. And it is also a, a, a piece of advice that I would give to, I mean, I always counted on just myself financially, always. Maybe because of an old divorce and my, whatever it was, it worked positive for me. Like, I don't want to have to rely on anybody else. Whatever salary I made, and believe me, I've worked when teachers were paid very little. Tell me how much they were paid, for those who don't know. I mean, when I started teaching uh, in 1971, I think I made $8,900 a year. Right. Really, really small salaries, and it increased over the years. And you go for more degrees, and you, okay, whatever it is, experience. But I always adjust, would adjust my lifestyle, whether I would live in a studio apartment or under a staircase or whatever I had to do. <laughs> it, I, that's my, that was my, I don't have to ask anybody for anything. That was it. getting, getting married. Okay. It increases together, but no, I was kept my money separate for many years because my husband had children and, uh, so whatever. And that, that, uh, to me is also, and it gave me the independence that, uh, that I wanted to be my own person. Right. Len, we're going to be talking to the audience in just a little while about the conversation we had with you. But I think most extraordinarily, can you talk to the audience directly and give them some advice as to what you think they would need to do if they were in a situation like yours? Just some bullet points. Okay. Do you want me to do it now? Sure. Well, I, I, I say that you had better develop some sort of philosophy of what you want out of life that you can, you know, I, I say, I, I'll, I'll put it very generally, never put your eggs in one basket. Okay. If it's just going to be your husband and you don't have a career and you don't have this and you don't have that and you don't have interest, you're, you're, you're up, up the creek. I think you have to have enough things you're interested in that if you go with a partner, it's fabulous. If your partner starts to fail, you help him in any way you can, do whatever you can, but you also have to have your own interest that you can through, through navigate. Yes, that you can. I can go to a museum and it, it's an escape. I can meet with a dear friend. It's an escape for me. I can... You know, I can't travel anymore that I love, but I have the memories on my wall and, and maybe someday I will again. I don't know. But but I, I've done it. I've done it. I did it all along. I have great kids and they're always they're always they're always there. I mean, with this pandemic and get rid of it and all that, they will be there. Um, so uh, that's my that's my advice. You better have some philosophy and not just go through life letting this happen and that happen. Well, that means you have to be proactive. You have to be proactive. Okay, so the last piece of advice I'm giving you, and I'm reiterating it. Yes. Ask for help. Yes. And yes. don't be afraid of their saying no, because then you really know who the person is. Correct. And there you go. It's all done. Lynn, we, would, we want very much to talk to you again. Anytime. We will get 
We will get back to you. This was really a great opportunity. It was an honor yes. for us to be with you today to hear your story, how you <clears throat> ingeniously, in your own creative mind, you were able to peel back that onion so incredibly creatively so that you could get at a way of living a life that was productive for you, but at the same time, and I think the most important part of it is, in such a compassionate way, that is is allowing your husband to be as whole as he could possibly be right now. And what what a tribute to you as a great loving wife. So thank you very very much for being with us, Lynn. And thank you for for bringing attention to the to your listeners and to the world uh, these issues that uh, seem to fall by the wayside without people like you. So thank you. Thank you. Go, go right back to teaching. Get in that classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, okay. Lynn. Bye-bye. 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 You know, Geraldine, sometimes it sounds like we're redundant, but, you know, there was a great deal we, we can take away from Lynn's story. I mean, she was an amazing woman who was able to deal with some extraordinary stresses in her life. You know, Lynn did find ways to keep her life enriched. And for all of us, that's what we should strive to do every single day. Interestingly, alarming data shows two-thirds of more than 15 million Americans providing care and support for someone with Alzheimer's disease are women. I mean, as we saw in the video clip, Research in the area of Alzheimer's continues to grow, particularly as the baby boomer population is exploding. Uh, I'd like to give a very special thank you to Dr. Maria Carrillo. She's the chief science officer at the Alzheimer's Association. Through her leadership, the Alzheimer's Association has raised $1.6 million to explore sex and gender in Alzheimer's. Well, we had a chance to listen to Lynn. How many of you are in the same situation or other situations like Lynn? How many of you feel trapped and powerless? How many of you have had thoughts and feelings about what to do when you wished it was all over with the fear of what life will be like after you are officially an ethical widow or widower? You must think about your mental and physical health so you can successfully enter the next chapter in your life. How many of you struggle with nightmares, guilt, shame, and conflict over your feelings? How many of you are having physical symptoms like headaches, muscle spasms, stomach disorders, back problems, and somatic disorders, specifically migraines? How many of you need alcohol, food, excessive sleep in order to just get through the day in order to feel numb? How many of you have found family and support systems that can give you caretaker breaks? How many of you have thought of changing the course of your living arrangements and are exploring memory care facilities in order to save yourself and give your loved one a better quality of life? How many of you are staying up at night to figure out a financial plan to meet your future needs? Today is not to find answers, but for you to explore avenues to get answers to your particular problems. Lynn was our guide today to better knowing the path that is best for us. Clearly seeking professional advice and managing your life mm -hmm. and the life of your loved ones is always important to think about. Through your 
thinking you will also find solutions. After listening to Lens today, there is a great deal to peel back and to get to a place in your life where you feel comfortable, productive, and compassionate, all at the same time. At the end of the program, you can find suggestions for caregivers of Alzheimer's patients. We hope you can take advantage of them or you know of someone who can really use professional help. Jerry, do we have another email today? We do, and it's from Courtney in New Hampshire. Courtney writes, I'm consumed with feeling overly sexual since the pandemic ended. I'm 25 years old. I grew up in a traditional family and faced little sexual experiences. I'm concerned about my feelings and the impulses I have, given that many of my friends are now engaged and getting married. I'm wondering... What is going on inside of me? I feel like I don't fit in. Courtney, I've worked with many young people your age who have been impacted by their family values, religion, and culture in relation to sex. For the last three years, COVID has dramatically taken over our lives and the way we have behaved and our sexual life is certainly included in that. Let me give you some ideas which may help you. One, your family's religion and rituals may have impacted your parents favorably, but are not serving your needs based on your education and awareness of life experiences. You probably feel trapped, and that may not be a bad thing. I'll tell you why. Understanding how we feel is the first step in trying to change the way we do feel, a feeling which makes us uncomfortable with ourselves. Let's peel back the onion for you. Take a moment. Try to appreciate what your parents were trying to convey, and then you have to make the decision of what your life needs to be like going forward. You may not be able to do this on your own, but it's a place to start. One, shame and guilt may be the trappings for you from moving on. My suggestion is for you to speak to a female gynecologist to become more aware of your body and your sexual needs. Two, get information on sex education. Three, I would speak to a therapist so you can feel you have the support to get you through the decisions you want to make. I have often heard young adults say, I'll never be like my parents, and there is some truth to it. Each generation approaches life with a different set of knowledge, values, and experiences. Some will, in fact, follow in their parents' footsteps, yet others see a different world out there to embrace. You know, Geraldine, given the intensity of our email discussions, I think we should go to a lighter side, a lighter segment. And who better to tell us all about that than Van Ritchie? Thank you, Jerry. I would love to. Each week there will be a segment about what just ticks us off. You know what I mean. You see something or hear something and get hot under the collar. Well, we have a treat for you, and it's called Send It Out to Sea. Thanks, Van. On this one, you go first, Jerry. What ticked you off this week? Oh, I frequently ride the New York City Crosstown bus along 57th Street, and there's usually a stop at the Time Warner building. And wouldn't you know, every single morning there's a line. Half the line gets in, there's always a person in the middle of that line will get up to the bus driver, will take out the pocketbook, or take out the wallet, will then hunt, I mean literally hunt for the easy pass, put the easy pass in, then put it back in the wallet, 
put it back into the purse <laughs> and move on the bus. Meanwhile, everybody wants to get to work. There's a ton of people outside. That aggravates me. And your pressure is going up and right now. And my pressure is going up. Okay, so let's take a deep breath. And we're going to send this, Dr. Cabarata, out to sea. I feel it moving. I feel it moving. <laughs> Remember, you can't make negative and frustrating moments like we just heard consume your thinking, particularly when you can't do anything about it. You can't deal with all the imperfections of this world and need to make them okay. It will turn you into a physical and emotional pretzel. <laughs> So with that salt on Jerry's pretzel, let's all take a deep breath and send it out to sea. And it's going out to sea. Now, there must be something that got in your way this week. What was it? Since the show is about how we feel, I'm going to be very transparent, really, how we feel. My being uptight for the last few weeks was because of you. <laughs> You have been such a perfectionist with producing this podcast and working every facet of its operation to get us to this point. I wanted to jump in and tell you plenty of times, slow down, chill out, give the crew a break. But rather than telling you that, I sent my emotions out to see, sometimes with you in it, but I made sure to bring you back. I knew if we were not on schedule, this podcast would not have happened. So on the air, here I am admitting my feelings and sending, well, I can't send you out to sea. I need you in here with my podcast. <laughs> well, I would never have guessed. I guess I did push hard. Well, a learning curve for me today in front of our audience, may I add. You know, we're all learning new things every day, including how we feel, what we do, what we think how we should behave, and lots more. It reminds me of writing my book on parenting, the fun book of fatherhood. In my very early years as a parent, I took my children to the zoo one Sunday, and we were watching an adult orangutan side by side with all of the youngsters. I watched one particular youngster trying to negotiate dinner. Well, that youngster had so much trouble trying to prepare the food to put into his mouth. The adult orangutan, however, just sat there and did nothing. And I was I was ready to yell at that adult orangutan. For God's sake, help your kid! I mean, I was boiling, but I said nothing. Finally, the baby orangutan got it, got the process, and ate. Ah, oh, I was relieved. But I learned an important lesson as a very young parent. Don't be impatient with your children. Give them a chance to explore and learn like you did when you grew up. Send your frustrations out to sea. And feel good about the fact that you were there with your children and they required assistance when they really needed it. You know, watching them develop the tools they will need to be great adults one day is really terrific. And you can give them that opportunity to learn and be creative and try different strategies. You can read about that and you can read about much more in my book, The Fun Book of Fatherhood. Well, that was a fun segment. And yes, let's look at some pet peeves on every podcast. It's been a great show. I want to thank Lynn for sharing her incredible life with us. Lynn certainly held on as we finally were able to go to production with this segment. 
I'm so looking forward to moving on and seeing more and more podcasts. And it's been several months with many difficulties to get the podcast up and running with crew member schedules, supply chain difficulties, and yes, COVID. But here we are, and we had such a meaningful conversation today about Alzheimer's from an extraordinary woman. And this podcast is all because of you and allowing us to be part of your life today. And we hope at every one of our podcasts. Thank you for allowing us to spend time together. Until next time, we hope all things will go your way and the core of who you are is always a beacon seen by others. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. If there's an issue which you would have discussed on Peel Back the Onion, please send us a note to Peel Back the Onion Podcast at gmail.com. We will always try to get as many emails on the air as we can. From your hosts, Dr. Geraldine Cronin and Dr. Jerry Camerata, along with a terrific production staff at K-Town Studios in Kingston, New York, and from me, Van Ritchie. We hope every day is a great day for you and everyone in your life.